Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. Through the years, these studies have looked at the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Hebrews. At times, we will have studies devoted to Jewish cultural events or issues relating to Israel and prophecy. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. This information will be repeated at the end of the podcast. Enjoy the Bible study. I'm very excited for everybody that's here tonight because this is the first time I'm used to preaching and teaching every week. And this has been, what, like three months basically since I've taught a single lesson, not including the Hebrew class. Uh, But I am just so excited about tonight and the opportunity to be able to do this and share this with you. I'd like to, as you already probably looked at your handout, the Gospel of John, okay, the Jewish John. How many of you have heard before the kind of saying or teaching that the four Gospels were for four different audiences, okay? We have Matthew for the Jews, Mark for the Romans, Luke for the Gentiles, and John for the world. How many of you have ever heard that before? Okay, well, if you've never heard it before, it's just as good that you forget it because I don't, I don't hold to that, that teaching, okay? Um, I believe very strongly that every single one of the writers of the New Testament, including Luke, were Jewish, okay? I don't believe Luke was a Gentile. The only reason people say Luke was a Gentile, I'm, you have to forgive me, I forget which book, I think it's Second Corinthians, Paul is saluting uh, people that he knows. And at the end of one of these books, I think it's First or Second Corinthians, maybe Colossians, it's one of those C books, uh, he gives a list of those that he salutes. Luke is in that list. That's the whole reason. Because they say, well, all these people that Luke is saluting are Gentiles. <laughs> so Luke must be a Gentile. That's what it comes down to. Um, anyway, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, but the Gospel of John is an amazing, amazingly Jewish book. I believe all the Gospels are an amazingly Jewish book, each and every single one of them, although they may have different perspectives, different strengths, different stresses, okay, in what they say and how they say it. But John, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, all the way up to chapter 10 and beyond, deals with Jewish people in a Jewish perspective and amazing truths in talking to Jewish people about the gospel. And so if you have Jewish friends, um, those that struggle with different things, specifically the deity of Christ, um, near the end of the book of John, in chapter number 20, I have a note somewhere here, uh, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he gives gives the, the meaning for the gospel of John. And it says that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach, that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So what better book to look into to look at the Jewishness of the gospel 
than the Gospel of John. And we're going to see some amazing things, and I'm incredibly excited to be able to share this with you tonight. Um, we're going to start in John chapter 1, and as your handout there states, John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, as far as the book of John goes, we're basically going to look at one verse. And I don't know if we'll even do it justice in the time that we have, but Lord willing, as I have opportunities to teach, we will go through the entire book of John. And I'm very excited to be able to do that. Um, before we get into the lesson, um, I would like to read to you an introduction that I have in my Bible that I believe is very good to give us some background to who John was and the different things about this gospel that make it different than the other three. The Apostle John is believed to have written this book about the year 90 AD in the city of Ephesus in Asia. John's name is never mentioned in the book, but is assumed that he is referring to himself when he speaks of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, There's some really interesting things that uh, the way that John refers to himself in this book. Um, and who learned, uh, who leaned against the bosom of Jesus in John 13 and John 20. He and the apostle James were the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus surnamed them the sons of thunder in Mark chapter 3, and included them in the inner circle of the apostles. Jesus also entrusted his aged mother to John. Do you remember what he said? He said, woman, behold thy son. And he said to John, behold thy mother. Um, which is in the book of John, chapter 19. John was the first of the disciples to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, John chapter 20. Now this, is, this made me want to skip to the end. <laughs> okay, I'm starting in John chapter 1. And when I read this and I looked into it, yeah. And you know what? In the book of John... It's John and Peter running to the sepulcher, okay? They're running to the tomb. And it says, it doesn't say John, but it says, and that other disciple outran Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so John's kind of humbly referring to himself as the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and not, you know, attempting to put himself in the forefront. I just think that that's somewhat amusing, but it's also amazing. Uh, just to think about that, that situation, what it must have been like. And we'll get there, Lord willing, uh, hopefully sooner than Mark got to the end of uh, the book of Isaiah. Um, okay. He was the first to recognize him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in John 21. The account of Jesus' life is very different from the synoptic gospels. Okay, the synoptic gospels is just a reference to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because there's a many, many, many things in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that intertwine, that are parallel, that harmonize. The book of John is kind of in a league of its own, okay? It's kind of a separate account because it's so different in the way that it starts. Even from the very beginning, uh, there's so many things about John that are unique. The purpose of this gospel, I already mentioned that, to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Whenever we see the word Christ, I want us to think Messiah because when we think Christ, we think, you know, I don't know. I, I grew up in a, in a church-going home, okay? If you don't know this, my dad is Jewish, my mom is Gentile, okay? And so I got saved at the age of 15. Um, I believe that I was a Christian my whole life, you know, nominally. My mom's a Christian. I grew up going to church. Hey, I'm a Christian too. And that was not at all true, and I found that out as a 15-year-old boy, and I got saved. After that, I thought, hey, my dad's Jewish. What does that mean? And so I started looking into all of that. My dad's a truck driver, um, and I went on the road with him pretty much right after accepting Christ. And so... I immediately had an interest in the, the Jewish background. This book, not only from the Old Testament perspective, but the New Testament. Jesus, all of his disciples, all of the writers of the New Testament 
we're Jewish. Um, so I kind of want to bring that out here today um, and as we continue, and especially as we get to the Samaritan woman, because interestingly enough, what were the Samaritans looked at as? Half-breeds. Okay? So sometimes I refer to myself as a Samaritan. <laughs> um, some people would say I'm Jewish. Some people would say you're not, okay? Those in Israel and those in the, you know, uh, Orthodox Judaism or even just the Reformed Judaism, they will look at the mother. And they'll say if the mother is Jewish, then you're Jewish. I went to an Orthodox lady in Jerusalem and she said, are you Jewish? I said, well, my dad's Jewish. She said, you're not Jewish. Then. Just that bluntly, you're not Jewish. Um, but also, when you look in the scriptures, you kind of see something interesting. You see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it's a patriarchal thing. It goes through the father. Um, I don't know. Whenever I tell anybody, I just say my dad's Jewish and let them make the determination. Uh, other than that, I would say I'm a Samaritan. <laughs> and I'm thankful that Jesus died for the Jew. He died for the Gentile. And he died for everybody in between. So I'm not left out. Praise the Lord. Um, okay. Um, let's see here. Each of the incidents recorded in the Gospel of John is specifically included to prove that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. So we'll see many things that prove that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, and that's just what's so amazing about John. Right to the heart of, of, of what needs to be said. Right to the heart of what they might have a conflict in believing to give them an answer from the scriptures. The literary style is simple and easy to understand. Each incident and discourse of Jesus is treated as an isolated event or statement rather than being incorporated into an overall framework. The same majestic truths that appear in the other Gospels are repeated in intricate parallelisms. Um, just kind of as a, a side note, and I'm going to summarize this, several miracles that Jesus performed are exclusive to the book of John that we will find out. Um, you think of Lazarus being raised from the dead, um, the healing of the nobleman's son in John chapter 4, um, the per paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, the healing of the blind man, uh, the second drought of fishes, Turning water into these are exclusive to John. Um, just amazing truths that we find in the book of John. Also, John helps us to find out exactly how long Jesus' ministry was. Does anybody know? Three years, three and a half years, roughly. But does anybody know how in the world we come up with that number? What's that? He started at age 30, okay, we're, to, we're told that in the, in the Gospels, that he started his ministry at about age, of, age 30. He began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does anybody know how we get three and a half years? From the book of John, we can determine there was three Passovers. The Passovers is how we determine how long Jesus' earthly ministry was. Specifically from the book of John helps us to do that. So, it's kind of neat. Uh, also, and this is just kind of uh, in a summary fashion for the whole entire book. Added into the following chronological portions, okay? The pre-existence of Christ, John 1, uh, 1 through 18. His first year of ministry, then his popularity during the second year, opposition against him in the third year, and the Passion Week. And then it closes with the 40 days following his resurrection. So there's some neat things that I just want to get excited about looking into the Gospel of John. And I've got to look at that clock. Make sure that I'm not just going on. Um, now let's look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. And let's just read it. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God. God. A big thing, a big kind of stumbling block with Jewish people accepting Jesus as the Messiah is accepting that he is God, accepting the deity of the Messiah. Um, and as we go through the book of John, and part of the reason why I chose to go through it, other than feeling the Lord leading me that way, is that I've done a lot of studying and looking into the deity of Christ from the Old Testament, the deity of the Messiah as prophesied. The book of John is the answer. The book of John is the answer to all of those things. And so we're going to try and tie it into the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and why he had to be God. And if he's not God, he's not the Messiah at all. He's at least not the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures if he's not God, if he is not the God, the creator. Um, but as I said, it's one of the biggest hang-ups that a lot of Jewish people have, a stumbling block, because they're not taught that in Judaism. They're not taught that the Messiah would be God. They're taught specifically that the Messiah will be a man. And I have a quote, that the Messiah will not be a god, demigod, or any kind of supernatural creature, he will be a man. And this is from like Judaism 101 or something, dot com. Um, but they believe uh, just, they, they, they hold to that. They clench to that, that the Messiah will not be God. They obviously have not read, read their scriptures. Yes? I guess they're looking for political and military deliverance from their oppressors. Unfortunately. And I was, the other day I was driving home and I was listening to uh, one of the radio stations was reading through Isaiah 53. And you know, you'll read something, but sometimes if you hear it, it, it makes you think from a different perspective. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Now do you all know the popular Jewish interpretation of Isaiah 53, who is talking about Israel. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Israel cannot be. Horrible, uh, what do they call it? Hermeneutics, okay? Horrible interpretation of scripture. To say that it's Israel, it's the, it's, 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 it has to be the Messiah. Uh, to die for the sins of the world, transgressions, but they're not looking for that. They're looking for a political, military, physical deliverer. Um, upcoming, okay, upcoming article in Israel's Messenger, False Messiahs. I just finished it. Um, none, of, none of them were claiming to deliver from sin, I don't think. They were pretty much all, I'm going to deliver you from your enemies, and we are going to have you know, peace. Uh, you cannot have peace without having salvation, forgiveness of sin. Um, but I have a friend, and he, I'm not sure exactly what he formerly was the executive director of International Board of Jewish Missions. He started his own mission board, which he called JEM, not to be confused with JAM, but it was Jewish End Time Missions. And I still remember his testimony. When I was at Pensacola, he gave his salvation testimony. He said in the 70s, uh, somehow or another, he, he heard the gospel and he became intrigued and he accepted Jesus as his Messiah. Okay, this is a Jewish man named Henry Benick. And uh, he talks about how he had a Jewfro because it was in the 70s, um, which I can't do. Okay, I don't have enough <laughs> up there to do that. But he said after he got saved, he talked to his mom and she was just beside herself. And she said, whatever you do, do not tell your father because it, who knows what it will do. 
you know, he'll just kind of... Anyway, he eventually mustered up enough strength and courage to tell his father that he accepted Jesus as his Messiah. And this is what his father said. I will never believe that Jesus is God. Three days later, he died. Um, so what I want us to be able to do is to be able to look through the Gospel of John and communicate to a Jewish person, not only from John, but from the Hebrew Scriptures, that Jesus is God and he was supposed to be. <laughs> the Messiah had to be God. Here we see in John chapter 1, Verse 1, John starts in a way that a Jewish person would be very, very familiar with. How does the book of Genesis start? In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A Jewish person would be very familiar with the way that this is being stated. John starts his gospel, his record of Jesus' ministry, differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Vastly differently. He starts with the pre-existent Christ. Was Jesus created? No. Unabashedly, no. Jesus was not created. He is the creator. He is Jehovah. He is the God of Israel. He is the Father in human flesh. How else could he have told, I think it's Philip, and I'll look at the reference here in a little bit, we're going to get to it, where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, um, here in the beginning was the Word, and the majority of what we're going to look at tonight is the Word, Word, okay? Now, that might seem kind of boring, but it's exciting, because we are not talking about a word, okay? We are talking about the God of Israel and human flesh. We are talking about the Savior. We are talking about Jesus, the Messiah, as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is kind of showing us the mystery of the Trinity. Because how can God be with God? It's, it's, it's sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around, but there's two people there. And yet, even in the beginning, when you look in Genesis, the Spirit is there too. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Um, anyway. Let's look at some of these verses that we have underneath here, some cross-references, and then we're going to get into the specifics within John chapter 1 and verse 1. And there's a little section there at the bottom. If you have any thoughts or comments or questions or something that you know, strikes you, you write it down there. Uh, there's Genesis 1-1 right there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you know that uh, without Christ was nothing made that was made? Basically, if it's here, it was created by Christ. He is the Word of God embodied in human flesh. Um, John 1, 1 John 1, 1, and this, I, I love this, 1 John 1, 1. Same author, by the way, as the Gospel of John. And this was written uh, after uh, the book of John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. 1 John 1.1 1, 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He's talking about Jesus himself. He is talking about the person, Jesus, the Messiah. 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. I'm going to do an experiment with you right now. Can somebody tell me what this is? Nike. Okay. How about this one? Okay. I just showed you Nike and McDonald's, but what, what, is, what, what are these... What are these literally? Symbols. Symbols, logos. Okay. If you try and search, and by the way, in case you didn't look ahead, um, the Greek word right there for word in the beginning was the logos or the logos, depending on how you pronounce it. Okay. In the beginning was the logos. Anybody take a guess where the word logo came from? I looked it up. Okay, it comes from this word. Now, what is a logo? Okay, I just showed you, yeah, I mean, I just showed you a symbol on a piece of paper and you said it's Nike. There's no words here. There's no shoes, there's no clothing, there's no fries or hamburgers, there's no Ronald McDonald. And yet, when I showed you this, you said that's Nike. When I showed you this, you said that's McDonald's. This is expression or the representation of everything that McDonald's is. This is expression or representation of everything that Nike is. You can just look at it and you can say, that's Nike. Well, guess what? Jesus is the Logos of God. He is the express image of his person. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? It's not just that, and I used to think that it's the idea of you know, if God were to speak, like in Genesis 1.1, he said, Yehi or, let there be light. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is that in physical form. There's so much more to it than Jesus being the word of God or the speech of God in human form. There's so much more to it than that. Jesus is the express image of, of his person. Jesus is how you see God. Jesus is that God. That, you know, he said himself, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, John chapter 4. And yet that spirit, okay, the invisible God, took on flesh. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And it's hard for us to grasp that. That's why he could call himself the son of man as well as the son of God, the son of David. He is not only the Son of God, but he is God himself. Um, okay. I have a reference there to John chapter 17 and verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine, own, uh, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus talking to the Father, praying to him. And this is, again, something that's somewhat hard for us to grasp, okay? The Son speaking to the Father and praying to him and saying, Now, O Father, glorify thou me with, uh, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, the word was God, not a God, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would like you, to, like you to think. It's not there, okay? It's just, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God himself. Skipping down to verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see, God himself became flesh. 
That's why Christmas is so amazing. That's why the birth of Christ is so amazing. It's just not the birth of the Messiah. It's the birth of the Messiah who is God. It's the birth of the Creator into physical form, into human flesh, for one reason and one reason only, so that he could die to pay our penalty in our place. Um, when we look through this, and as we get through the book of John, I want us to look at the gospel, okay? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I want us to look at it through new eyes, seeing him, perhaps maybe as we've never looked at it before, not only as the Messiah, not only as the Savior, but as God himself hanging on that tree, hanging on that cross. And that's why it's just so amazing that when Jesus was hanging on that cross, and for the first time in all of eternity past, okay, that's why in Micah, when it talks about Jesus' birth being in Bethlehem, it says, whose forth are from of old, from everlasting. Who can be born in Bethlehem whose goings forth are from forever? God. And when he was hanging on that cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity past, at one point in history, the Father had to look away from the Son. And that intimate fellowship and connection, which was there from the beginning, was severed. Why? For us. For our sin. He was forsaken, so we would never be. That's why in John chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, he can say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And why Paul could say, I am persuaded that death nor life nor any other creature, I'm paraphrasing here, but nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And yet in the very next verse, that was the end of, of, of Romans chapter 9, the very next verse in Romans chapter 10, he says, uh, actually maybe it's the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 11, where he says, I wish that I myself could be accursed from Christ for my brethren who are Israelites. There's no way we can be separated from the love of God if we've been born again. But Paul's burden for his people to get saved was so great as he said, I wish I could be separated for them. If it meant that they could get saved, I would lose my salvation, which is not possible, by the way. Um, but I want us to be able to look at all of those things, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the life of Christ, the things that he says, how he says it, who he meets, where he goes, what he does, all through the lens of this is God. This is God in human flesh. In John chapter 17 and verse 5, you have this there on your notes. And he is before all things, and by him, or I'm sorry, it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, the reference there is below. And he is before all things, talking about Christ, and by him all things consist. Not only did he create every single thing that's even here, but he's what's holding us all together. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I don't claim to be, but the whole idea of atoms and, and, and nucleus, how do you say that, nuclei, okay, and molecules and all those things holding together, they just have some kind of thing way out there that they call the God particle. Well, that's how we're just all held together. You know, we can't explain it. It's just, you know, you touch an atom the wrong way and it blows up a city and we're made up of trillions and trillions and trillions of them. Even, I don't know. Christ is what holds all of those things together. Now, our liberal media and everybody out there would say that that's just, you know, some old-fashioned Sunday school lesson that's just garbage. And I say that what you're teaching in your schools is garbage. I had one guy that, uh, <laughs> he said, I call it a fairy tale and throw it in the trash can. Um, all of what we look at is going to fly in the face of modern teaching. 
going to fly in the face of evolution, and it's going to fly in the face of what Judaism teaches about the Messiah. And I want us to be able to see that what they are believing is incorrect, and what we are believing is the truth. I have a verse there, Psalm 138, verse 2. And for our, our Hebrew scholars over here, I, I have it in Hebrew. And the order is a little bit different, but it says, he, he, Ki higdalta al-kal simcha imratecha. For thou hast magnified or made great above all thy name, imratecha, thy word. Okay, which is the first word we're going to, well, actually it's the third word we're going to look at. We're going to look at one Greek word for word and two Hebrew words for word to kind of get us an idea of what it means when it says, in the beginning was the word. Why did John describe Jesus the Messiah as the word? Why did he describe him as the word in John chapter 1, verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 14, and John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, and elsewhere in scripture? Remember Revelation? What is Jesus' name called? The Word of God. Okay? So let's open it up here. And let's look at Logos, okay? Which is, by the way, as I mentioned already, it's where this comes from. It's where the word logo comes from. And it has lots of different meanings and different ways that it's translated within the New Testament. You have a list there. Sometimes it's translated as saying, saying, speech, account, thing, things, matter, utterance, communication, uh, account, take account, talk. Uh, it is the word, okay? Matthew chapter 8, and you have a list there. And by the way, each time that this is highlighted, it is the word logos. It's the same word that we see in John chapter 1, in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Matthew 8.8, 8, it says, The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. You know, Jesus is not only the Logos of God, he is not only the expression of God, he is not only the utterance of God in human flesh, but in 1 John chapter 1, and you have the reference there, he's the Logos of life itself. He is the word of life. You want to know what life is? Look at Jesus. He says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There's an elsewhere in, in scripture where it says, a man's life consisteth not in the things that he has, basically. Um, in James chapter 1, I believe it is, he says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. This world is looking for life. They have no idea how to find life. That's why so many people are finding it in the bars and you know the crack houses, and they're looking for life. Why do you think that suicide happens so often among celebrities? I mean, the famous billionaires of our country, of our nation, of our world, they can't find peace. They can't find life. They can't find hope. You have Matthew 8, 16 there. When the even was come, they brought unto him all that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all the sick. There's a psalm, and I think it's 38, I'm not sure exactly, but it says this, one of the verses there in, in one of those psalms, it says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Jesus himself, he casts out spirits, he casts out demons, he casts out devils. He healed with his word. As it says here in Matthew 8.8, 8, the centurion said, speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. God has the power to do that. And I want us to look at this, and 
the pastor of the church we've been going to, he said something that really kind of gripped me. He said, I don't want us to see only the Jesus of historical scripture. I don't want us to only see the Jesus that was born in a manger and the Jesus that even died on the cross. I want us to see the Jesus that is alive now at the right hand of the Father that you can talk to tonight, that you can talk to right now, that will help you and hold you when you're in times of trial and tribulation and trouble, when you have nowhere to go. Guess what? He's not just words on a page. He's not just an account of history or even of scripture, but yet he is alive. He is alive and well. And he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, guess what? There am I in the midst. He's here. He's everywhere present. Um, that's the Jesus that I want us to get a hold of and I want us to see. He is the Jesus that we pray to. He is the one that we praise. He is the one that created us, hold us all together. He is the one that for us. And he is the one that will help you through that day. He is the one that will help you through anything that you might face. And when we read about him casting out spirits with his word, healing with his word only, he has the power to do that. And he not only had the power to do that, but he still does. And so when we pray for autumn, okay, when we pray for these different requests that we have, uh, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, guess what? Jesus is the solution to that. Um, Matthew chapter 10, the next verse that you have there. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off of your feet. So the words of Christ, what did Paul say? He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ can dwell in us. And we can speak that same word when we're witnessing to somebody, when we give them the word of God, when we give them, give them the words of Christ, the things that he said, the things that he taught, we are giving them life. We are giving them the words of life. Uh, and there is no other. Um, Matthew chapter 12. Actually, for time's sake, let's go down to Matthew chapter 12. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. What is Jesus talking about in this passage? Uh, the soils of hearts and the, and the seed of the gospel. Those that would receive the gospel. Do you know that when you're giving the gospel to somebody, according to this passage, you're speaking the word of God, you're speaking the word of the kingdom. And I don't want us to just look at this and think, well, you know, we have some verses memorized that we go through the Romans, and it comes short of the glory of God, there is none righteous, no, not one. Don't let those just be words, okay, that you think of, or just as a Bible verse, but think of where it came from. Think of where it originated from. This is the word of God, and Jesus is that embodied in the Messiah, in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, let's skip down to where it says the first verse that you have there, uh, the first additional verse. Revelation 19.13 says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. Um, you may not have often looked at Jesus as the Word of God. He has many titles. But just as the way that John starts this, and then he goes into verse 14 saying, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I just want to kind of try and grasp this here tonight uh, as our time is, is moving on. 
1 John chapter 1 and verse 2. And even if we would read verse 3. Let's go ahead and turn to 1 John. I mentioned already verse 1. But let's look at verses 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 1. In verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus does not just pop on the scene in the New Testament. He's from eternity past. He was with God in the beginning, and we are taught in Scripture that He is the Creator, that through Him was everything made that was made, and without Him was nothing made. And by Him all things consist or hold together. And then I already mentioned First John or John chapter one and verse fourteen. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you know what begotten means, or only begotten? It has the sense of, and I'm kind of getting on a rabbit trail here, but in John chapter three, when Jesus Himself said to a Jewish man, "For God so loved the world." that he gave his only begotten son. It means unique. It means uniquely begotten. Now, if you look in, in Scripture, and we had to study this when I was in my Hebrew class, that so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. It's not just that, uh, you know, uh, normally, other than in the genealogies, it's, it's, it's taught of a woman bearing a child. Okay, giving birth to begat or begotten somebody. Other than in the genealogies where it's usually listed as uh, the, the men and their uh, progenerations, that we find Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Was there, was there a human father? No. Okay. And so here it says, uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is uniquely begotten. He is uniquely the Son of God. Now, to them that would receive His name or believe on His name, gave He power to become the sons of God. But are we sons of God like Jesus? No. Okay, He is the only begotten Son of God. Um, but we have power to become the children of God. If by believing on his name. And I kind of passed over Philippians 2.6 there. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made obedient even unto death. Um, the world is perplexed by Jesus, especially the Jewish world. When we look in the book of John, over and over and over, we see him speaking of his deity. He says, before Abraham was, I am, in John chapter 10. Over and over in the book of John, we're going to see things like that. Instances where he tells a crowd of Jewish people that he is God, that he is the Father. And many times, the reaction is, that's, 
that's crazy. That's blasphemy. That, that, cannot, that cannot be possible. When Jesus healed the paralytic, they said, who can forgive sin but, but God only? And Jesus said that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And the guy gets up. Jesus has power to do that, not because he's some magician or somebody that has, I don't know, crazy power, but it's because he's God himself. He is the God who created those bones and those muscles and the nerve endings and the connective tissue that he can just rise instantly. All of it comes together. He has power to do all of those things. We need only to pray for his will. And I'm thankful that his will is not our will. Now, sometimes we want it to be. Sometimes we want God to do exactly what we want, exactly how we want it done, exactly when we want it done, and exactly like we, like we want it. But his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. So that when I got disappointed when my truck broke down, and this is a crazy story, as a college student, my truck broke down basically three times in one semester. I ended up going down through the freeway and my brakes went out as I was exiting the freeway. And all of those little things that just made me pull my hair out. See, that's why I don't have so much hair right now. All those things that drove me nuts led me to sell that truck. And with the money from the selling that truck, my sister, who was running from the Lord, she came to the Lord, uh, came back to the Lord, and said, out of nowhere, I want to come to college, come to Pensacola with you. I used the money from that truck to help pay for her first semester. And the person who ended up being her roommate is sitting back there. That's how I met my wife. Don't ever, ever, I mean, we can, God allows us to question him. But don't ever think that you know better than God. Don't ever get upset because something is not going the way that you would want it to go because guess what? God's ways are better. He's the one that works all things for good. We don't work all things for good. Yes, yes. And that's a big part of it. We don't know the future. We don't know what these things are going to end up coming out for. We've read a lot of horrible things going on in our prayer request time. A lot of things that are negative. A lot of things that just, why is this happening? One of the worst things that happened in the entire history of the entire world, the Holocaust. And through that, something unbelievable happened. A nation that had been nothing for 2,000 years was brought back on the scene. Um, We don't know God's ways. But he knows the end from the beginning, and we do not. Um, Anyway, I'm not sure exactly how I got there, but we can trust him. Uh, I don't know how I got there. I know why I did, because God wants us to hear that tonight for some reason or another. Uh, flip the page there, John 17, 22. He says, In the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the disciples. He's talking about his followers. And he says in this same prayer to the Heavenly Father, this is sometimes referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer as he's interceding for the believers. That are. He says, I pray not for these only in John chapter 17, first century believers, but I pray for those that will believe afterward, us. Do you know that Jesus prayed for you? 
And in John chapter 17, he says, that the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Why? How? That they might be one, even as we are one. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. Immediately the response was stones were taken up to throw at him because they understood what he was saying. But as he and the Father are one, guess what? Guess what Jesus wants? Guess what's on, guess on Jesus' prayer request list? That you and I would be one, like he and the Father are one. Um, maybe we need to think about that a little bit more than we do. There's a whole lot of division. Um, I heard somebody say once that it's better to be divided by truth than to be united in error, which there's some truth to that, but that doesn't change Jesus' prayer. That doesn't change Jesus' desire. Not to see us united in error, okay? Not for us to unite like Mark was talking about, you know, the Glenn Beck crowd wanting the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and everybody to just get together. We're all Christians. Not that kind of unity. But the true believers to be unity, to have unity, even as he and the Father are one. And Jesus calls that the glory of God, that we can have that kind of an incredible supernatural unity which Jesus himself refers to as the glory which he had with the Father that he could give to us. And then 1 John 5, 7, another reference to the word, and then guess who is the author of this book? John, okay, 1 John, once again, 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Um, now that's just a summary fashion of looking at the word logos, okay? Looking at the word, word, and how we know that Jesus is the utterance of God, the expression of God, uh, the express image of his person, okay? That's where the idea of logo comes from. You look at a logo and you say, that's McDonald's. You look at Jesus and you say, that's God. That is God. That is the creator. He came to be the savior of the world, but he also came to show us who God was and how God would walk among streets and what he would do. How he would... Uh, carry himself and how he would act when crazy accusations are brought against him. It's just, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, the wonders of the Word of God, the wonders of what's called in theological circles the hypostatic union, okay? <laughs> Jesus and the Father, um, God becoming man. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, and in the same way, this same John the beginning of the book of Revelation. He saw Jesus as he is. And how did he respond? Sometimes I get irked about that song, I can only imagine, you know. He says, will I, will I dance, will I, you know, whatever. John, who walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years, when he saw Jesus as he is, he basically all up and almost has died. He fell at his feet as dead, it says. Um, I imagine your reaction and my reaction would be no less. That's just what I imagine, okay? <laughs> That's what I think. Um, okay, so let's look, at some, let's look at some Hebrew words. Something interesting about the Greek is that the, the Greek of the New Testament is not classical Greek. How many of you have ever heard of Plato or Socrates? Okay, that's classical Greek. Those philosophers, okay? They wrote in classical Greek. This, okay, 
when we look into the New Testament, it's Jewish Greek. Okay? It's called Koine Greek, the common Greek of the day, but even this is different because the authors, the writers, were Jewish. They had Hebrew concepts in mind when they wrote these things. And so let's look at the Hebrew behind this, which is certainly what John would have been thinking okay, um, when he wrote Logos. Genesis 15, oh, let's look at some of these definitions, okay? There's two words. One of them is devar, and one of them is imra, okay? And I kind of spelled it out there for you in English. Devar, uh, word, matter, thing, acts, chronicles, sayings, commandments, um, nothing. I'm not sure why it references that. Manner or cause, okay? And basically, it's a word, matter, or thing, or affair. Genesis 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So many times in the Old Testament, they didn't necessarily see God, okay, unless it was in a vision, but they heard his voice. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So I want us to kind of understand when it talks about the word of the Lord, obviously it's God talking, okay? It's God's words. It's God's speech to Abram. But how did Abraham or Abram know God? How did he know who God was? How did he know a lick about God? How did he know anything about who God was? By what he said. The only way that Abraham knew anything about God was by hearing God's voice and hearing what God said about himself. This is how God revealed himself to Abram. Okay? Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is how God revealed himself to humanity, to mankind, in a physical form, the word of life. Okay? The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Uh, in Genesis 24, it talks about the words of Rebekah. Okay? And by the way, this is kind of a comic relief here in this situation. It came to pass that when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man well unto me, that he came unto the man. And behold, he stood there by the camels as well. Do you remember Isaac's servant? He gives Rebekah some things. Okay? The earring and the bracelets. The word earring can also mean nose ring, which is a possibility that it may have been a nose ring that he gave to her. I don't know, we don't think of that very often. It may have been an earring, may not. Anyway, the words of Rebecca. It's not only how God reveals himself, but I mean, how would we be as a society if we could not talk? I'm sure all of us would be, you know, texting. But if that was not an option, okay, if language in any shape or form was not an option, what would happen? And yet that is the state of the majority of this world because they have not Jesus as the revelation of God. They're walking around, you know, deaf, dumb, and blind. And that's why. And that's why when you accept Jesus as your Savior, when you trust him, okay, to forgive your sins and save you, the lights come on. And, you know, as the old song says, I once was blind, but now I see. Um, when I first got saved as a 15-year-old boy, 
instantly, one of the first things that I, that I remember, okay, upon accepting Christ as my Savior, instantly, all of a sudden, I had this kind of inner assurance that this book is true. Like God revealing in my heart, oh yeah, the flood really did happen. And I really did create the world in six days. And all of a sudden, upon accepting Jesus as our Savior, if the Bible, I thought in my mind, if the Bible says, if what the Bible said about getting saved, okay, if what the Bible says about forgiveness of sins and, you know, just repentance and faith, trusting him, if what the Bible says about all that and being born again, if that's true, then guess what? The rest of it is too. And I found out firsthand by my own experience when I got saved, the forgiveness of sin and what that felt like. And realizing that God's word from cover to cover is absolutely true. That's the communication of God. And Jesus is that in a person. Okay, He is showing the world who God is in human flesh. Um, we'd be lost without the ability to speak or communicate. And spiritually, that's what Jesus provides. He shows us the truth for the first time. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what Washington says. It doesn't matter what you know, the different religions out there say. This is what is truth. This is what saves. This is what helps us to see. The Quran isn't going to make anybody be able to have their light, you know, spiritually, the lights come on, or the Book of Mormon, or, you know, the Watchtower, uh, any of those things. Um, Confucius, whatever you look at, those people are dead. Okay, the authors of those books, they're dead. And yet Jesus is alive uh, to be able to communicate those things with us and illuminate his word to us. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. This is the word devar. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. You get that there? You know what that's saying? Yes. But also, by implication, Jesus is the word of God. He is the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. You see that there? Not only the spoken word of God, but Jesus is the word of God in a person. Okay, He is the expression of God. Uh, he is God in human flesh, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And then in 1 Corinthians, I have a reference there, just to correlate with Psalm 33, 6. But, unto, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. He created you. Um, okay. Moving on quickly here as we're, as we're wrapping up. And by the way, any questions, comments, okay, discussion, feel free to, to raise your hand. Get a hold of me. Throw something at me if I'm not, if I'm not seeing you. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And in this very chapter, I'm not sure if next week we'll get to it or not, but he goes right into talking about Jesus being the light. Yes. 
I realized uh, Isaiah 48, 16 is almost a paraphrase of in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Mm. And uh, it just gave me, so I got so excited about it that I just started talking about it in my conversation. Yeah. Like with people that I've made, uh, you know, talking to. But he said, uh, in, in the beginning, I did not speak, I didn't speak, uh, in the beginning I, I spoke, and in that same verse you have the triunity because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit mm. are all in that one verse of Isaiah 48, 16. Well, let's read it. Let's turn there. I've got it in King James. Yeah, that's that's fine. Isaiah forty eight sixteen. Oh yeah, yeah. Come ye near unto me and hear ye this. He's telling us to listen. Yes. Or anybody who would read this, he's saying This is important. Listen up. Yeah. Yeah. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning of the time that it was. There am I. And now the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. Yeah, and if you're and, and if you're wondering who the me is, okay. Thus saith the Lord, thy redeemer, the holy one of Israel, which by the way is the title of Christ. And elsewhere in Jeremiah twenty-three, did you know Jesus' name, the Messiah's name, is referenced as Jehovah? Okay, it says his name shall be the Lord our righteousness which is Jehovah Tzadiknu, the Lord, our righteousness. Capital L-O-R-D, as the name of the Messiah. If the Messiah is not God, then he's not the Messiah that I read of. Uh, absolutely, thank you for that. And now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Amen. Thank you for that. Okay, so let's see if we can look at our last word here. Imra, which is uh, used pretty commonly uh, referencing the Word of God in, in the Old Testament. Um, let's, let's skip down for time's sake to Psalm 119. Oh, Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. Sometimes it's referenced as the Word of God, the commandments, thy law, thy judgments, thy statutes. Um, David is just enamored with the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's not just having some of these, some of these letters, okay, and some of these words uh, memorized, okay. But I think when, like when um, Paul, I think it is, that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And also, we're told that we have, in one passage in the New Testament, I'm sorry I don't have the references, but we're told we have the Spirit of Christ. In another passage, we're told we have the mind of Christ. And so it's not just memorizing Scripture to memorize Scripture. That's not going to keep you from sin. But he says to hide it in our heart. And when we're hiding his word in our heart, it goes beyond the words and helps us to understand a truth about Scripture and to really just let it sink in. To let it consume us. Uh, that's kind of how I feel right now. Huh. I told Lois I understand how Jeremiah must have felt when he had God's word burning in his bones and he couldn't forbear. Uh, I just wanted to teach. I just wanted to preach. I just felt so like 
I was bottled up with wanting to get something out. So I'm sorry you're the uh, guinea pig for that. Uh, but, um, but the word of God have I hid in my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Um, if we think about who Jesus is, and we have that in our heart, along with his words, we're going to be much less likely to go and do something that would displease him. Um, he says in Psalm 119, verse 38, Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Let thy mercies come also unto me. Verse 41, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. You know, interestingly enough, all of God's promises, okay, just like, you know, people will say my word is my bond, okay, sometimes it has the idea of a promise or a covenant or a contract where they, you know, somebody might say my word is my bond, I've given you my word. There's a kind of nuance there that Jesus is not only the word of God in the, in the sense that we would automatically think, but he is also the fulfillment of all of these promises. I, I think of that when David says here in Psalm 119, 41, Will thy mercies come unto me also, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word, according to the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. All of those prophecies, all of those things that were built up all the way from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, okay, uh, to the end uh, of the book of Malachi, where he says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's like one of the last verses of our Old Testament. I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Jesus says that was John. That was John preparing the way. Uh, many Jewish homes at Passover, they'll have an extra seat for Elijah, hoping that he'll come to herald the coming of the Messiah. And we have word from Jesus himself, and by the way, we're told in Scripture that the spirit of Elijah, okay, would be upon John, or that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. But Jesus says, Elijah already came, and they did with him whatsoever they would. And it says that he spake to them, of John the Baptist, preparing the way, crying in the wilderness. Um, from Genesis to Malachi, the word of God, and it is fulfilled in Jesus himself. That's why even in Revelation, uh, there's just, people say sometimes that it's so pregnant with meaning, okay? There's so much to that term I'm sure when we're in heaven, we'll spend an eternity just talking about it. <laughs> Maybe a couple million years. Uh, and, you know, not a day will have gone by, uh, by the way that we think now. Uh, but it's, it's just so amazing. In Psalm 119, verse 50, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Have you ever been in trouble or had some kind of trial that not only brought you to your knees, okay, but brought you to this book? I've had times in my life, specifically in the last couple of years, there's been times where I'd be sitting there because of some trial, something that's going on in my life that, by the way, I don't enjoy, okay? We don't enjoy those times. Those are some of those times where we wish that God's way would be our way. And, you know, get this over with, please. This is horrible. And yet it's those times I got closer to the Lord than I'd ever been. I was in this book not just studying it to study it, 
but studying it saying, Lord, help me. I'm looking for answers right now. I'm looking for your comfort and your help and just hungering for his word, hungering for a connection with the Lord, for him to just say, don't worry, it's okay. You know, David says, and he experienced this in Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. You ever been there? You ever found comfort or relief in God's word when nothing else would give that comfort or relief? Okay. Um, Jesus is that in a person. Uh, when we get to heaven, you know. Um, now, John describes Jesus' eyes as a flame of fire. And we are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account not for our sins praise the Lord our sins are gone I've heard people say that we're going to have to you know talk about the bad things that we did no I mean that that's another gospel um, that would mean there would be one sin or a couple sins that Jesus didn't die for or that weren't paid for or weren't complete and yet we're justified we're declared righteous we have his righteousness and yet we are going to give account for not our sins okay or even necessarily our works, but our motives in those works, whether they were done in the power of the Spirit, uh, through uh, you know the right motives for a love for the Lord, or if they were done through the flesh uh, for ulterior motives, whatever reason. Those are the things we're going to have to answer for. And you know, the judgment from Christ is not going to be anything like the judgment that this lost world is going to receive from him. Um, I think it was Paul who said he will appear, I'm paraphrasing here, um, unto your glory and unto their shame, or something like, and I can't think of the reference, but he talks about how he will appear unto life for some and unto death for others. Um, That same God, believe it or not, and you should believe it because it's true, the same God of the Old Testament, that God of wrath and judgment, that God of righteous indignation, was born in a manger. Every bit the same God. It's not that, and I've heard some people say this, and it just irks me, that um, you know, the Old Testament is the, is, is, is the God of you know, hate or the God of wrath. And Jesus is the God of love to, 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 to even it out. Uh, and sometimes they'll go as far to say as Mary is the one that, you know, calms them both down and says, you know, uh, it's just such heretical teachings out there. But that is what is so amazing. God is love. The God of the Old Testament, okay, the God that judged Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the God that brought wrath down upon the Canaanites, the God that brought wrath down upon his own people, Uh, for serving other gods and doing other things. Um, That is the same God who died on the cross to pay for our sins. Not only sins present in 2015, but sins past and sins future. How did David get to heaven? How did Abraham get to heaven? By the blood of Jesus by faith in the coming Messiah. It was never the sacrifices. Paul said this can never take away sins. But it was trusting in God, trusting in the coming Messiah to save them, uh, to be their Savior. 
Um, and so, and by the way, when Jesus died, all of our sins were in the future. So don't ever let the devil get you bogged down. You know, we're human, okay? That's what 1 John 1, 9 is there for. But the devil wants us to think that we've committed a sin that's too big to forgive, uh, to not even bother trying to repent of it, or we've done something too willingly to be forgiven. Does Jesus say that there's ever a sin that we commit that maybe, well, the flesh got a hold of us and we just wanted to do that thing? Does that make it, okay, now we're not forgiven anymore? No, but the devil wants us to think that. Uh, If you ever have trouble, okay, struggling with the flesh, Satan wants nothing more than to get you so consumed with that that you're sitting on the sidelines just, you know, beside yourself about it. Now, we need to be broken, but we need to, our brokenness needs to drive us to Christ. He is there to restore that fellowship. Uh, and once again, I don't know why I got to this, <laughs> this point, but, uh, you know, he is there as the God of the Old Testament, as that same God of wrath, as the God whom John himself, in the book of 1 John, I believe, chapter 4, said God is love because he became the Savior of the world. He died in our place. Um, okay. Let's look at a couple more verses, and we'll, we'll finish with this. Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 9, says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thought that Jesus himself is the Father in human flesh and by him were all things created. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Why were we created? Why are we here? I wish somebody would come and, you know, give me a million dollars to tell him, well, a couple billion nowadays, <laughs> to tell him what the meaning of life is. You know? It's a mystery. We're just searching. What is the meaning of life? Well, do you know why we were created? We were created for him. Yes. I've, uh, I've heard some people say, and I kind of like this definition, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we were created, to be with him. Uh, In Thessalonians, I forget which one, it says that Jesus died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, and it's speaking of death there, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That's why he died. He died so he could be with us in this life and in the life beyond, in the next life, in heaven, um, in eternity. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when we look at verses about husbands and wives, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And uh, no matter how good of husbands we are, okay, 
Christ is a better husband to the church and will be, you know, and just being able to be, I don't know, cared for in that way, you know. Um, there's a verse, I'm trying to think of it right now, it slips my mind. But anyway, oh yes, I talked about this in Hebrew class, by the way. I want you all to learn this word, okay? Sod, sod, you spell it like S-O-D, okay, not sod, but sod. Um, and there's a verse in Psalms, and it says, the secret of the Lord, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. The secret of the Lord. I, I wondered to myself, what does secret mean? You know, is it some kind of like national treasure? You know, I'm going to find some kind of hidden code in this book. No, not at all. The secret of the Lord, the sod of the Lord is with them that fear him. Guess what sod means? And it goes right along with what Yvonne was saying. Sod means intimate company. I just thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. If we would fear the Lord like he is to be feared and, and, and trust him, guess what he's going to reward us with? Intimate company. Uh, he, he, wants, he wants to know us. He wants to know us in that way. He wants to know us intimately. Um, and he desires to be close to us. And then I have a couple more verses that I wanted to share with you. Um, Let's, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's look at just the first couple of verses there. I added verse 3 in my outline, so we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Okay, and this is kind of goes along with the gist of John 1.1, 1, 1, that the Word, uh, um, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake, unto us in time, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Okay, It's kind of a crude thing, but we learn visually sometimes. The express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if, if we can't, you know, read that and give praise to the Lord, at least inwardly, I mean, it's a magnificent truth. Not only his preexistence, but that how God used him to show us himself, to speak to us, to reveal truth to us, to uphold the world by his power, and then guess what he did? He purged our sins. By himself, he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, when we think of the book of John, at least the very beginning of it, it's just so engulfed and consumed with the idea that Jesus is the God that you've just been reading about the last 39 books, you know, as far as the Old Testament goes. And he is revealed to us in the person of his son, who not only was born in a manger, 
but as Micah says, is from of old, from everlasting. Uh, amazing, amazing truth. Any comments or questions, discussion? Okay. We're going to be meeting again, same bat time, same bat channel, I guess, <laughs> as they say, next week, and we'll see if we can get into John 1, 2, and we'll kind of slowly, uh, or however quickly the Lord would like us to, make our way through the book of John. Okay? I'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.